Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Hey, this is the Non-Fungible Podcast, NFP with D. Klein. You can find this podcast and you can dive deeper into blockchain trends on Cointelegraph Magazine. All you got to do is go to www.cointelegraph.com magazine. Now today, I have a guest that I would describe as pretty much a wizard. It's uh, Jonathan Winbush. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome. Uh, thank you for having me, man. I definitely appreciate it. And glad I found you on um, Twitter there whenever I saw Ross looking for people to to connect with. And I saw you had a podcast. I was like, I looked at it on Spotify and I was like, oh, that's a cool bunch of good, um, guests that you had on there. So let me reach out and just see what happens. Because, yeah, I respect the list that you had. Thought it was cool and listened to a few episodes and yeah, here we are now. I've had incredible guests and, you know, I'll be very proud to add you to the catalog. <laughs> it's been amazing the it. <laughs> guests that I've had and the people I've had on. It's it's really cool. Now, for the context for listeners, okay, I just want to mention a few uh, creations you've been involved with, you know, to give people some idea here who don't know. And I was just kind of browsing through all of your work and blown away. I mean, you've got Iron Man. You've got this one. My daughter was like, what? My little pony. I was watching the Game of Thrones one yes, that you did. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. For the teaser for the one season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was, um, go ahead. I have a daughter as well. That was one of her favorites. So whenever, um, especially at the time, that was a few years ago that I did that teaser that you're talking about. And my daughter was in elementary school and all the kids were in My Little Pony, all the girls at least at that time. So when she would go to school and now I hear her like bragging to her friends, like I'm helping my dad work on my little pony the next season and all this <laughs> stuff. And yeah, just a proud dad moment. So that's actually one of the better, um, actually one of my favorite IPs I've got to work on the past few years. Yeah. What makes it stand out to you? I mean, obviously there's a connection with your daughter. Yeah. That's the biggest one because I got to work on the, my little pony movie that came out. I did the music video for Sia. She did the breakout song for the, the soundtrack there. And so I got to take her to the movie premiere. They did a mm -hmm. making of on, um, discovery family. And so I did the graphics for the making of on discovery family. And I had my name in the credits and everything. So she jumped up on the TV and was pointing at my name and I got to capture that moment on my, my phone and everything. So yeah, it's just one of those bonding movements more than anything yeah. that, you know, makes it really special. That's awesome. One of my favorites is your NFL on Fox little t little intro, because that always gets me excited when football starts and you get that graphic going there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> ba -ba 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 -ba. I love that. Yeah. Boy. And um, another funny story about that one is like I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, mm. of course, my team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they were trying to select the footage to have, you know, play inside of the letters there for the NFL. And I was like, if I'm going to be on this, I have to put the Pittsburgh Steelers in there somewhere. And yeah, I convinced them and they allowed me to throw the Steelers in the, the intro there. So, well, and it's yeah, pretty was, much the whole color palette, the Pittsburgh Steelers colors. It's black, gold, white. Yeah. Yeah. So it fit right in. I didn't get too much pushback because it, you know, it meshed together so well. So. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I know that gets me pumped whenever I see it. But you've also got work with DC. You've done a ton of stuff. So yeah, yeah. Talk talk about that experience working with DC Comics. Yeah, so I was actually staff at Warner Brothers for a mm -hmm. while there, and you know Warner Brothers they own DC, so just naturally we got mm -hmm. to work on the different properties over there. And again, like I have a son. And this is when he was really little. I was working on, this was around like the Xbox 360 era, but I was working on Lego Batman 2 for DC, working on a commercial campaign for it. And at the time, instead of rendering in 3D, like I used Cinema 4D and rendering took a really long time back then. Mm -hmm. I was like, why don't we take one of the Xbox 360 developer kits because you have it in God mode. Like you could do anything in the game that you want. And so, like, I brought my son down. He's playing the game, you know, like, before it comes out. And I have another Xbox controller, and I'm running a virtual camera of him playing the game. And that's how we got the footage to run for the commercial and everything. Oh, wow. Okay, so. interesting. Wild. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I yeah. suppose nowadays, I was talking with uh, another 3D digital artist just yesterday. Um, 
um, and Ram 3DDA. Maybe you're familiar with yep. it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was talking about um, how now you can pretty much just do it all on the fly. Whereas years ago, of course, it was brutally, uh, you couldn't know what it was going to look like ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of sleepless nights, you know, even with like render farms and everything we had at Warner Brothers, it was always stressful putting the render up and then driving home and constantly thinking about it. Like, is it going to crash or are there going to be any, you know, glitch frames or anything? So it's like you come into work a little bit early to try to pull the render down off the render farm and you're just praying that everything rendered over a night, you know, correctly, because if not, then there's a lot of, you know, a lot of bandaging going on and Frankenstein to try to hurry up and get it together to, you know, show to the higher ups. But yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the old days. When it was kind of brutal back film. then. Yeah, it's like the old days when you had to use like a film camera and you didn't even know if the pictures were going to turn out until, you know, it went off yeah, and got exactly. to develop. It almost feels like that primitive, right? Yeah, there was a... I remember that well because... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say my grandmother was, um, she was like a hobby photographer. So I remember she would send her negatives off and, you know, she'd get the pictures back and a lot of them would have like, they'd be blowing out or mm -hmm. they'd be too dark or there'd be something wrong. So it's like she only had a couple of photos out of the batch that actually turned out well. And so, yeah, but that was part of the fun, I guess, too, for her. Sure. Yeah. And then go getting it and going, oh, that one turned out really nicely. Whereas now, I don't know, that's kind of lacking in a way, right? That experience. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Is yep. that what kind of got you into this? Your family connection with the arts, with photography, videography, that kind of thing? Um, I guess I kind of fell into it by chance. Like I was always into computers growing up and I thought I was going to become like uh, some type of computer engineer. Like I was really into science and the NASA space program growing up and actually wanted to go to space. I wanted to be an astronaut until... Mm -hmm. My aunt, she actually worked at um, NASA down in Virginia Beach. And so I got to visit down there in summers and I got to see an actual, you know, space capsule that goes on the top of the rocket that the astronauts sit in. And that thing was so small. Like the thing is huge, but the actual space for the astronauts is like right, right. pretty Correct. much like this chair area here. And I'm just like, like yeah, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> So it's like I would love to go to love to go to space, but not in those conditions. So it's you're gonna just, wait no. until it's like a Cadillac in there, and then maybe you'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. You see, SpaceX is almost there. I saw their latest launch with their cool spacesuits and everything, and they they look like they had a lot of room in there. So okay. maybe when it comes to commercial flights, <laughs> it'll finally be something more, you know, along my speed. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that didn't, I didn't go in that direction there, but just as I was growing up, you know, like I had a lot of influences like Toy Story and The Matrix was a huge mm -hmm, one. Mm -hmm. And when it came time for me to go to secondary school after high school, like originally I went to Pitt, the University of Pitt for like a semester, but I just didn't like that college campus type of atmosphere where it's just mm -hmm. like everybody cramped in like these big halls and everything and you could barely talk to a professor. Right. And so I just, um, by chance, I discovered the Art Institute. And so I went down there, did a tour, and they were building like a green screen facility there. And they were actually recreating scenes from The Matrix in there. And oh, at wow. the time, I was like, what, The Matrix? That's one of my favorite movies. This is, you're doing this type of stuff here? And they said, absolutely. So, yeah, I signed up right away. And, yeah, that's where my career pretty much took off at. I got a bachelor's in visual effects and motion graphics and never turned back. So I'm curious, like, was that a very competitive program? Like, were there a lot of students in the program or was it quite a select few then? It was, um, I want to say there was probably between 13 to 15 of us. Like the okay. program was so really, small. really new at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, it, this was literally the first group of um, artists that actually got like a uh, um, four-year degree for motion graphics and VFX because before that you pretty much just interned somewhere or you did it as a hobbyist and you just kind of worked in the field but there was no schooling for it and so like I was a part of that class that was like the first people to officially get a bachelor's degree in there so there wasn't too many of us because the mm -hmm. you know the program was still actually being worked out as we were in school and stuff but 
yeah, I would say probably out of my graduating class, there's only, I keep in contact with a lot of them and maybe there's only two to three of us that are actually working in the field from that, you know, that first initial group. Right. Still, I mean, obviously it was a successful program with what you're capable of doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of, it, it was a lot of grinding to get there, you know, like school, you, like you think that like, okay, you go to school, you get your degree and then you're just ready to work. But that's right. like the beginning of it. Like I had to, like my first job offer in California, actually it just flopped before I even got to work. Like I was right? sending out, this was back when you had like physical reels. So I burned my reel on a DVD and mm. was sending it to all the studios on the West coast. And then the studio finally bit and they were like, we like your work. We'd like to bring you in as a junior artist. And so I drove all the way across country. I filled up my car, drove to California. When it came down, when it came for the day for me to work, the studio went under, like no. it wasn't there at all. So I'm knocking on the and door. And you're this young no guy driving me. around the crowd, driving across the country for this. Shoot. Across the country. My first time in Los Angeles, I had no idea what I'm doing out. Like I never been out here before in my life. And I got no emails. I got no phone calls or anything. So I'm knocking on the door for like an hour and I'm just waiting for someone to, you know, show up. And then somebody finally comes outside from the building next door. They're like, we've seen you out here. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, no one's there. And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to start today. <laughs> and they're like, we saw them moving all the equipment out over the weekend. I don't think they're there anymore. And yeah, I couldn't get in touch with anybody at that studio and I tried to make it work for like a month and I couldn't make it work out here. Like my funds got depleted. So I had to move all the way back to Pittsburgh. And then, um, you know, I just kept the grind going. I kept sending out my reels to different places. And just by a stroke of luck, Adam Sandler, his assistant was from Pittsburgh. And mm. so when she saw my envelope with the Pittsburgh address on it, it made her want to open it up because she's like, who, who from Pittsburgh knows Adam or whatever. And she saw my demo reel in there and she's like, she gave me a phone call. She's just like, Hey, this is Dawn. You know, I'm, you know, I'm working with Adam. I'm his assistant. I saw your reel. We like your work. If you're ever in town, you know, you're still in Pittsburgh. Right. And I was like, yeah, I'm out here just looking for work. And they're like, well, if you're ever in town, look us up, we'd love to talk to you. And so I was like, I could come out tomorrow and, they're like, mm -hmm. no, no, we don't want to, you know, um, we don't want to be of any inconvenience. You know, if you're just in town, just give us a heads up and, you know, we just love to meet with you and have lunch or whatever. And so at that time it was like income tax time and I got my income tax check and I just, I, you know, I talked to my, um, she was then my girlfriend, but now my wife. But at the time I was like, I had this opportunity. I just want to, you know, like go for it. Can I use sure. all the money? to buy a red eye flight out to Los Angeles, just on this hunch that something might happen. And she supported it 100%. So I bought the red eye flight, showed up at the happy Madison doorstep the next day in the only suit that I had. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I did every person <laughs> that just walked And the past, door was wasn't like, just barred shut. <laughs> I was just at the, the front of, um, Sony. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, cause it was at Sony studios. And so I, you know, I just kind of worked my way in, mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, each person that came through, I was like, are you Don? I'm Jonathan Wimbush until it finally happened. And they're like, holy crap, you're Jonathan. And I was like, yeah. And then they were like, okay, we love the ambition. We'll give you an internship. And so they gave me a six month internship. And um, yeah, I, I guess they liked me enough to give me a full-time position there because they gave me a full-time position. And then I worked with them for the next three to four years after that. And you worked a lot in TV as well during that time, yes? Yeah. So the thing about Adam was like the reason he's able to make movies like super cheap and still, you know, like pull in a big profit, even though his movies don't hit number one in the box office is because he owns everything that he needs to make a movie. And so he owns a motion graphic shop. He owns uh, um, an editorial shop. He owns a print shop for like billboards and post art and stuff like that. And so I was a part of his motion graphics shop at the time. It was called Framework. And so the cool thing about that was we didn't only have to work on Happy Madison stuff. He was able to bring in work from other places like MTV, 
we did stuff for um marvel that's how i got to work on like fantastic four and iron man and stuff mm-hmm. like that so it was it was a really cool place to just get a lot of experiences because i was able to work in film television i designed dvd menus psp menus like it was, it was crazy like it was pretty much a dream come true just because i got to work on so many different properties at different angles over there it must have been kind of a surreal thing when you were first there going, holy crap, I'm working with like some pretty big people here, right? Like, was that an overwhelming feeling at first or? I think I was ambitious at first because one of the first projects that we got to work on was, um, looks like, so when I was there, they were working on Grandma's Boy, which was a Happy mm-hmm. Madison movie. And then after that, they had an opportunity to work on Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. And I grew up like a big comic book geek. And so when they asked me like, hey, do you want to help out on this film? Do you know Cinema 4D? At the time, I didn't know it. But it's like I wanted to be a part of that film so bad that I taught myself Cinema 4D, like staying at the office till like 3 a.m. every single night <laughs> and just like grinding away at it. And yeah, I got to be a part of the film there. And that brought in like huge opportunities, just being able to show myself and show the capabilities that, you know, I'm able to learn on the fly and really just put myself into it. So I think I was so focused on, you know, just trying to impress everybody at the studio, like everybody coming by, like, you know, like a Rob Snyder or, mm-hmm. you know, like Adam or um, I'm trying to think who I was like a John Cheadle or whatever, if they would come by, it's just like, oh, hey, you know, because it's like I'm so focused on just trying to make sure that, you know, I make myself an economy there and that they are like, we want to keep you around type thing. So, yeah, I think, yeah, even at the holiday right? parties and stuff. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> just as I say, even at the, the holiday parties, like Adam with their, like a Happy Madison holiday party every mm-hmm. year. And, um, it was weird because that's where he would have like all his celebrity friends and stuff like that that come and mingle with like his employees and stuff like that. Sure. And I still never got starstruck or anything because I was so used to seeing these people on my screen because it's like, hey, there's Don Cheadle, but I'm used to working with green screen footage of Don Cheadle. So it's just okay. like, I, see what you're I don't saying. know, there's like some type of weird connection there. Yeah. So it's not like it's like, hey, there's Don. It's like I see Don every day because I'm doing green screen footage of him. You know, <laughs> it's like not quite the same thing, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know, in terms of you would be so focused on your work, right? You would just be associated with yeah, that mentality, yeah. right? Yeah. I was looking at yeah, this tweet you put like here. A workaholic. Right. Yeah. It sounds like it. You put this tweet on here where it says, "13 years ago, I don't got to work on and debut a little movie called Iron Man." The second Marvel worky yeah. Marvel movie I got to work on at the start of my career. So it was Fantastic Four first, then. And yes, then, and Fantastic then Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yep. yep. And Iron Man actually came. Like I worked on a movie trailer for that. Yep. And that came that debuted at Comic Con that year, and so mm-hmm. it literally came down to the last minute because we were working on changes and everything with the editorial house, and I did like all the motion graphics for it, and this was like the debut of the which now known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like Iron Man was the movie that kicked that off. But at the time, we didn't know the significance of it. Like, we're just grinding away, and we knew that Comic-Con was going, and they wanted to debut it there. And we literally got the the debut trailer, like, burnt on a disc and sent to Comic-Con minutes before they were about to premiere it. Like, it was just crazy, but it worked out. You're like, hopefully it works. (laughs) Yeah, must have I mean, all moment. I could do is my part, but yeah, it's like a lot of um, a lot of stress at that time because I didn't realize what was going on. They're like, "Are the graphics done? Are the graphics done?" I'm like, "The rendering. Why? What's going on?" And they're like, "They're debuting in like three hours down in San Diego," so it was just nuts. Like they actually had to send a, r- a runner from Hollywood to San Diego to hand deliver the disc. Wild. Does that happen a lot? Tough, tight timelines. Um, not so, I mean, that was like a special circumstance. Like there are, you know, deadlines that get kind of crazy, but that was probably the wildest moment that I ever had just because it was in the middle of a big convention and they needed it there, but they also made changes on it. So it's kind of like, you know, one of those things we thought we were done and then it has some last minute changes and you're just up against the clock. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was scrolling through your uh, Instagram and I was looking at, you've got some cool renders of like Master Chief and Halo. Those are just basically, you were just playing with those, yes? Like you basically yeah, just yeah. made so these I as got a... a just fan art for the halo yeah, yeah, yeah. series because yeah. yeah i'm a big halo fan but um mm-hmm. i got a motion capture suit last year so i've been oh. just you know finding reasons to play around with it and stuff like that so yeah once i um there's a website that i found where the guy ripped all the halo models from the video games and mm-hmm. so i'm like oh i got the actual master chief here i should you know just like throw something together and just see if i could work with it so that was just more of me just playing around and stuff that's awesome. I mean, it looks amazing. You also had some work here with God, thank you. Yeah, with Call of Duty, I think you had. I do think my favorite one is the My Little Pony's yeah, Game yeah. of Thrones season opener, the season teaser. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were um the people at Hasbro, they were real big on taking the big properties at that time and trying to do like spin-off teasers for the My Little Pony series and stuff. So that particular year they're like, can you guys do something Game of Thrones related, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of mimicking the Game of Thrones open. And so that was a lot of fun to work with on that one. Yeah, it's cool. Let's talk NFTs. What got you into yeah. this whole <laughs> other world? You were saying it hasn't been that long ago. It was February, I think you were saying that you actually got into this. Yeah, so I got accepted to Super Rare in February, but mm-hmm. I've known about NFTs since about, last year around like october-ish and so i have a couple of friends that were actually in the space like um blake Blake catherine and kid mcgrath and mckaya and i'm just seeing them on twitter like posting this stuff up and they're like hashtag crypto art and i just sold it for like 0.3 eth or whatever right 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 and i'm just like what are you guys talking (laughs) about i'm like what is (laughs) yeah i'm like what is eth i'm like what do you mean you sold it i'm like is this like you know, like Fortnite video game money type thing or like what's going on. And they're like, oh no, it's like real money, like Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, so I know Bitcoin, but I don't know Ethereum. And then I started seeing like these um, other stuff, like um, F-Render is selling stuff. And he's like, man, I just made like five grand off of this. And I'm like, that's stuff that I see you post on Instagram all the time. Like who's buying your instagram post for five thousand dollars like it didn't make any Why sense it's hard for me to comprehend <laughs> and exactly <laughs> and so at the you know as these big sales are happening the motion graphics community is like there's no way this is legit it has to be like money laundering or something crazy going on because if you remember back with um world of warcraft yep. like they were using the assets in there to actually um laundry money over Mm -hmm. you know like for drug cartels or whatever illegal activity they're trying to do so we're like is this another world of warcraft situation where people are illegally transferring funds through like this game currency or whatever but as time progressed and i started asking more and more questions to the people in the scene and saw it was something actually legit that's what really piqued my interest mm-hmm. and then um people which you know like we all present we all knew people at the time because we just hung out with them and sure. we're all friends and he's just like yeah i see people were selling my art as this thing called crypto art like he didn't even know about it until people like i guess collectors were hitting them up like hey i'm i bought your your crypto art and he's like what the heck are you talking about and they're like you didn't sell this to me and he's like no i don't even know what you're talking about oh wow. so he found out through people selling his art and then i guess he hit up the guys at nifty because he was just researching and trying to figure out what it was because after like the fifth person hit him up like hey i bought your crypto art he's like what the heck is going on and so he talked to the guys at nifty and then he talked to us he's like yeah i'm gonna do this this um this nft thing i don't know you know like how legit it is but you know if you guys want to get in on it you know like i'm going to put the pieces up and they saying that the value is going to be high and so i didn't jump in on the initial one but a couple of my friends did and um yeah he just made like three million dollars overnight <laughs> on yep. his first nifty drop and that's when i was like okay you convinced me i need serious. to get into this now and yeah <laughs> and so um 
I think at the end of January, I actually put together a video for my application for super rare. And like at this point, you know, the scene is getting pretty hot. Everybody's really jumping in on it after that initial people drop. And so I wanted to make myself stand out from the crowd. So I actually put my application video out on Twitter and was just like, hey, community, if you guys support me or you watched any of my tutorials in the past, please tag super rare, retweet them, you know, just get at them and tell them that I'm interested. And I think within a couple of hours, I got an email saying, welcome to super rare. <laughs> so it just, nice. yeah, it just worked out. I'm just like, I, I just kicked down that door until it made it happen. And then yeah, the rest is history from there. Well, I shouldn't say history. It's only been a couple of months, but yeah, that's been my initial getting to super rare there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have some pretty wild stuff on there. I was looking at it. a lot of it is, working with if i i want to check the name of the musical artist you have mixmaster mike is a most recent one that you created is that correct yeah so we did a piece called mob recipe which is a track coming off his new album that he has coming up and so um like you know mixmaster mike has been versatile throughout his career everybody mm -hmm. knows him from starting with the invisible scratch pickles to being a dj for the beastie boys to actually being like the first dj to tour with metallica on the recent stadium tour and doing world tours with cypress hill and so like just being actual like friends with him and working with him has just been an honor and um <clears throat> excuse me we've done projects in the past oh, sorry one second <clears throat> yep so we've done projects in the past like virtual reality projects and things of that nature and I was starting to tell him about the NFT stuff that I was doing with super rare. And he was like, we should do something, you know, like we'll just, you know, come out for the weekend. We'll just have fun. We'll hang out. We'll put some stuff together and we'll just take it from there. So it was like a total casual thing of just us, you know, like more hanging out and catching up more than anything because we've mm -hmm. been on lockdown for like the past year or so. I don't think I saw him like right before the lockdown was the last time I saw him. So it was just us catching up and being creative and, um, yeah, we, I put him in the motion capture suit. This is the first time he's performed in the year since the lockdown. Right. So it was cool just to capture his performance there. And then I made like a 3D model of him and everything. So this is actually Mixmaster Mike performing for the first time in the year. And um, when I put the project together and showed him, he was just excited. And I was like, you know what? I've never seen anybody do a remix before of their NFT. So I'm like, we should drop the original track and the remix, just paying homage to the old school vinyl when you had like the A side and B, B side. side. Yep. And so he, um, he immediately went back and remixed his track. And then I went back and remixed the original render and we released both of the NFTs at once. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun experience. Like I've been using NFTs as to experiment with and stuff. It's been pretty fun. Yeah, it's, it's a different experience than when you're normally working with as say with a studio or something where it's like they have a vision in mind that they want you to fulfill. Whereas this is just purely what yeah, you want yeah. to create, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's one of the big attractions there. Like when I was telling people at first, like the thing that got me really interested in NFTs besides the money was the creative freedom that I'm seeing all the artists have. And so like you said, if I'm doing a My Little Pony job, like they're like we want to do a game of thrones spinoff and so yep. you have some type of creative you know flexibility in there but you have to stay within the scope of the project as for nfts it's like this is a place for me to just kind of run wild like my um my first nft i wanted to do something really artsy so i did like that marble uh, physics simulation there and then mm -hmm. um from there i went like totally off in the right field and i did like a medieval type piece but it mm -hmm. was like a diorama type thing which this is all stuff that i'd never get to do in commercial work so this is a lot of me being able to just you know like flex my creativity and you know do stuff that i normally can't do because you know like i could do it for instagram and twitter but that just wasn't as fulfilling because sure. yeah i don't know i guess maybe because not as many people might see it or be able to appreciate it but now with nfts at least like a collector could pick it up and you know it's being appreciated by somebody out there well just the fact it's been minted it's tokenized it's on a blockchain and it has a sense of permanence right and scarcity from that yeah that posting something on instagram just doesn't have that right so you the other thing i've noticed is you have a 
about, I want to say, nine pieces on Super Rare, if I'm correct. Or no, 12. And there's such a variety to them. Right? Like, you're able yeah, to kind of just so. do whatever you feel like doing, right? Yeah. Like, if I have an idea in my head, like, I started working on one today. Like, I wanted to do something. Um, actually, I'm going to enter it in this gallery called the Seven Grants Program. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. like, they have a Paris thing Hilton, called yeah. Distorted Reality. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I started working on that. And um, oh yeah, this one is like she's working on the female side, but I'm doing right. one for the um the get nifty side, get right, nifty right. side. Okay. But um, yeah, so I mean, I thought it was a cool thing to be invited to, and I'm like, this is give me another opportunity to be creative with it. So yeah, I'm like, I just started, and I got an idea that just popped in my head, and it's like I could just hit the ground running. I don't have to you know, ask the clients for any feedback or notes or, you know, have to go over my creative scope or anything. It's just like, I got the idea. I could just, you know, hit the ground running on it. Yeah. You just do what you want to do. Right. So it's, yeah, cool. 100%. you have a number of these pieces that are of dancing. Those I'm assuming are using motion capture again, the dancing figures. Yeah. So that one, <laughs> that one kind of spun off a life of its own. So, mm -hmm like you know there's this infamous collector called 888 and he bought right. my second nft that I ever did it was this spaceship that's flying through like this mm -hmm. um kind of cyberpunk-esque um, city and I, yep. that's like the very first project that i did in unreal engine and he saw it and he liked it and he bought it and then so we just you know i thanked him on twitter and everything and we just got to talking and he's like, you know, what else do you have? And so like, I'm showing him stuff and he's going through my Instagram feed and he comes across this tutorial that I did for Epic games when they first added like the hair shader. And I just had like this furry guy just like dancing <laughs> because it was a tutorial on how to create, you know, like that hair effect. Mm -hmm. And he's like, how much for the hairy guy? I like it. It makes me laugh. And I was like, well, I'm like, it's, it's a tutorial, but I can remake it for you, no problem. So I went and made it custom for him and he like, he loved it and he, he picked it up right away. And then he, he tweeted it out to a bunch of people like, Hey, I just bought this off of Jonathan, you know, this, you know, this made my day and everything, which really meant a lot. And then another collector saw that and they wanted one, like they're like, they were posting like, oh, eight at eight. So lucky he got this piece. I've been playing it all day. And I wish I had it. So, you know, I was like, I reached out to them and it's like, oh, you know, like, thank you for tweeting that out. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And they're like, yeah, is this going to be like a series or anything? And I was like, I never thought about that, but let me talk to 888 because he bought the original and I wouldn't just want to like rehash the same thing out there. And then he feels like he's being undercut. And so I told him that there's another collector interested in, you know, the furry dancing guy. And he was like, that's great. You should make one, but just try to make it different than the one right. that you sold mm -hmm. me, like change up the hair color and change up the dance and things of like that nature. And so, you know, i made it for her and she posted it and um, somebody, I guess they liked it and they made her an offer on it, which was more than what I sold it to her for. And so I told her, I was like, you know, I made this for you. But someone just offered more money for it, even though I just sold this to you. I'm like, I still get 10% of the commission. I won't be offended if you sell it. I can make you another one. And so she was like, you know, that's perfect. I'll sell this one and I'll split the profits for you or with you on the next one. And so she saw that one. And then I made a third one that I ended up selling to her again. So it's just like that whole thing just kind of took on a life of its own. Well, and I had to, wanted to ask you about that, the, the whole royalties element, like as someone who's created yeah. for decades now with studios and so forth, that's got to be a, a fundamental shift in the way that you create revenues, right? <clears throat> yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the first time in history as a motion graphics artist that I get any type of secondary royalties mm. on anything that I've created. Like I've done the main title sequence for the deadliest catch for like five or six seasons. And Bon Jovi gets a royalty check because they're using his music uh -huh. in the intro title. Right. So every time they run that episode, he makes a royalty check on that, but I get nothing. Like I got the flat fee for creating it and that's it. And now, you know, I've tried to negotiate this with studios and stuff, but Motion graphics artists, we get like 
you know, like no type of back end credit for any of this stuff, like the writers and the music um, composers, like all those guys, they'll get, you know, any type of percentage off of the, the reruns or if they go to, you know, like DVD or Blu-ray or Netflix and stuff like they have it in their mm -hmm. contracts because they have guilds and they have um, unions that fight for this stuff. And so that was another thing that attracted a lot of motion graphics artists to NFTs because it's like, finally, we have a way to recuperate costs on our work being resold and reused for other things. And so I know that's like, that was really important to a lot of us because that's something that, like you said, we've been doing this for decades and we get, we get that initial paycheck and a thank you. And then that's it. Like we're done with the project from there. Well, it's got to change, change your mindset a little bit when you see something being resold because previously it would have been like, oh, right. Whereas now you're like, oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Still not used to it yet. Like it's cool seeing, you know, like the secondary market. And then like you see like super rare will tweet out like, hey, artists on the secondary market just made a million dollars collective in revenue for such and such time period. And I'm like, that's just crazy to think about because we never get you know, those type of royalties and stuff. So it's definitely cool to see. And um, yeah, I'm definitely grateful for it. Cause that's something I wouldn't even have thought about like being able to add, you know, like a secondary value to the smart contracts and things of that nature. Right. And it's coded right into it. Right. So it's beautiful. Yeah. It's awesome. What's uh, next on your inspiration list for creations coming to super rare. You think? Yeah. So for super rare, um, <clears throat> I know Mike hit me up this morning, actually. He wants to do another one already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, he, yeah, he's he's all in it. Like, I've been telling him about NFTs, and then, like, he's just been researching, and he's excited about the scene. So he, like, wants to jump right back in there. And then um, I've had Mark Christopher Lawrence. He's another friend. He was um, Big Mike on the show Chuck on mm -hmm. AB, or NBC back in the day. But um, he wants to try to do something like he's been doing stand up for the last couple of years and everything, getting back into his roots there. So I was like, I haven't seen any stand up NFTs yet, but maybe right, there's no, a creative aspect we could. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I was trying to think hard on it. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I could create him as CG. Maybe he could do maybe like a couple minute set or something. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. But that's part of the challenge and fun of it, too. So. I have to Absolutely. see what comes about there. And then um, I just talked with the Ahmed brothers yesterday. They're putting together something for their book that they have coming out where they're getting like a collective of artists to create NFTs to launch the book and everything. And so there'll be more information on that coming out soon. But yeah, it's like the plates getting stacked when it comes to the NFT, NFT stuff. Yeah, well, the, we're just starting. We're in the early phases here, right? I yeah, that's the... A lot of the people you're talking with probably are just now getting into NFTs because of you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, a lot of them, I've been ex trying to explain it the best I can. <laughs> you know, a lot of it still kind of confuses me, but, you know, that's a part of the fun too. Like, it's been just like this deep rabbit hole of getting into what the blockchain is and how Ethereum and smart contracts work and then... I recently got into the rabbit hole of, um, I guess you could say like the crypto punks and how okay. there's like a whole underground scene going on there. Like, I don't know if you saw the ape thing that came yeah. out the other mm -hmm. day that's just been going nuts. Yeah. So I'm mad that I missed out on that. And, you know, like I missed that on by like a couple of hours. <laughs> and so like, cause I you, saw you they were selling You can't for catch like, everything. Like, there's, it's too fast paced. Yeah, like it's just crazy. Like my one friend Ness, he's just like, yeah, I got five apes or whatever, and he he got it, you know, as they were being created. So he got them at the super low value that they came out at. But now I'm see people flipping them for like eighteen ETH, and it's only been Is a it couple that high of days. Already? I'm just like, shit. Yeah, the highest one I saw actually saw to eight 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 for eighteen point eight eight ETH. And I'm just like, man. Okay, man. Now <laughs> so I that's feel another sad rabbit hole I'm getting one, down now. <laughs> <laughs> the tough part yeah. being you <laughs> like don't know you don't know when they're being released at that point you don't know if they're going to have that kind of momentum to them right like it's you know so how many yeah, of these little yeah. things are you gonna go buy and then they're not gonna catch on yeah that's the thing that i'm seeing too like because i saw people are doing um was it crypto babies or baby punks or something 
like maybe a couple of weeks ago. There's got to be thousands. I haven't checked back on the resale value, but yeah, yeah, I'm just like I don't know what to catch on. But the ape thing I thought was neat because I like the style of it. Like I thought those illustrated apes were pretty cool. So I was like, I'm you know I'm sad I missed it just for that because I mean I thought those looked cool, but. Yeah, and then once I saw how the value was flipping on them, I was really kicking myself. So <laughs> I'm like, I gotta. I told him I was like, next time you catch something early like this, definitely let me know if you're going to buy five or something because I want to at least check it out. You know? Yeah, it's kind of like you know, I don't know if you're into stocks ever, but it's kind of like stocks, but really fun. You know, in terms of like I look at stocks and I go, what young person now getting into you know this flipping scene? would rather do that with stocks right. when you have this NFT scene going on. It's just so much more exciting and fun, right? Yeah, 100%. I think that was like when you go to stocks, I think that was like the thing with GameStop and AMC, like mm. those were like familiar entities. And so I think that's why a lot of people, young people went to those because it, it almost, it has that NFT feel of it. Like, you know, like we love video games and we know GameStop and, we're investing in GameStop and then we can flip it when it hits its high and all this stuff. So I think like when you add like the fun variants to this stuff, then it makes it a little bit more accessible, which is why the NFT space is like, I'm more into the NFTs than the stocks for that exact reason. Like I'm having fun with it. So it makes me want to dive into it and understand it more than, you know, just looking at stocks and it's kind of like, you know, it has like that boring ish hash to it. So it's just like, ah, you know, exactly <laughs> it's so slow in comparison yep. yeah. it's true yeah yep. i i just find it's uh there's always something happening so don't feel too bad about the apes there'll be something else tomorrow well let me know if there is <laughs> i don't want to miss out on keep it. Up with all of it you know i do these podcasts you know five six of them a week and i still can't keep up so right yeah well it's you've been selling so a bunch yeah yeah, I've sold a number of pieces recently, so that's that always makes me happy. The best, it's the best feeling, right, when you sell something with NFTs. Just because there's that immediacy have to you, it, there's that connection, right, with a collector. I was going to say, can I ask, have you um, have you been cashing out, or have you been keeping an Ethereum, or are you splitting it, or like how have you been handling I don't handling know if that's good that OPSEC for me to say yeah. that. I don't know if... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a big right. believer in in hodling. I'm a big believer in that. I do feel like Ethereum is, uh, I feel there's improvements coming to Ethereum this summer that are going to yep. stop the, its inflationary structure and going to basically make it so that it becomes more scarce. And that alone is, right. it's gonna drive the value of Ethereum tremendously. I feel, this is not financial advice for those of you listening, and I'll always say this anytime it comes to, you know, this kind of talk. Um, but I, I'm right. convinced Ethereum is the uh, ticket to ride, so to speak, for at least the next year. I feel like it's, I, 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 here's the thing, okay? Like I was saying to my wife, hey, you know what? That last piece I sold, I could buy a brand new computer with that. But in yeah. three months, I can probably buy three brand new computers with that. You know what I mean? That's what happened to me, yeah. <laughs> oh explain like i could honestly i can honestly say because you know i'm still an infant in this you know this whole nft mm-hmm. ethereum space and so my first couple of sales on super rare you know like i'm just riding away from doing good on there and it comes to a time you know ethereum was at like it was worth 1800 at eth mm-hmm. and then out of nowhere it dropped to 1200 sure and I, you know like i kept my ethereum but like i wasn't you know, I wasn't really too hepped on the highs and the low of Ethereum at the time. And so it rose back up to that 1800 ETH, but it kind of like got my wife and I kind of nervous because my wife's like, what if it just drops again? <laughs> you know, it's like a stock, like what if it just, it, it drops and, you know, you kind of look at the trajectory and sometimes it dropped and it took like a while for it to come up. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll cash half of it out just to be safe but then i'll keep half in ethereum yeah but now looking at it i'm like (laughs) ethereum's almost at three grand if i would have just kept it in there and you know not be so you know so quick to rush it then 
I would have all my Ethereum still, but I mean, right. I can't be mad at my choice because no. I didn't cash no. all of it out. But you yeah. know, it's the longer you're in this, learning. you're gonna have stories like that. You know, like I was in this in 2017, and I bought stuff like, for example, there's another one called Theta. I was telling this to somebody else on the show. I bought it for 13 cents. Okay, and earlier right. this year, it was over 20 dollars each. Problem was, I didn't hold it. I sold it when it hit 16 uh, cents because I was like, oh, I made about 25% profit, right? Now, there shouldn't be any shame right. in taking a profit. But when I look back at that, I'm like, that $1,000 I put in it, that would have been $100,000 or more than that. It would have been, right? Yeah. If I had just let it sit. That's crazy. But who's to know, right? You can't know that that's yeah. going to happen. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the thing that like, because listening to Beeple talk and he was just like, because people always compare his numbers. Like when he made his initial 3 million, they're like, oh, if he would have not cashed out and kept it, his 3 million would have been worth 7.5 million. Or even with the Christie's auction, they're like, hey, if he would have kept his Ethereum, his Christie's auction is now worth like $111 million. But that's life changing money. Why would you side, not cash that out? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I mean, it's always, you know, it, it's, it probably doesn't hurt him. He probably doesn't care. But it's like one of those things like, oh, I could have doubled my money. But at the same time, you could have cut that in half, too. Because what if Ethereum would have went the other direction? Then instead of 69 million, you're getting only 30. Well, I say only 30, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you just cut your, your profit in half there. So only $30 it's, um, million. Dollars. Yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> What yeah, a weird like, world I'm only we're working in, in the right? thousands. He's up there with <laughs> the millions, but <laughs> what amazes me but, about it is I'll watch these shows. I don't know if you ever watch shows like Pawn Stars. You watch Pawn Stars, you ever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, heck, you've probably done the animations for it or something. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> you watch a show like that, and they'll have like some like this is like one of the few original letters written by George Washington, da, 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 you know, and they're like, it's worth $400. I'm like, what? $400? It should be worth so much more than that. And yeah. I've been spoiled by the NFT industry where we do see these astronomical numbers for things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. it seems kind of out of whack. I don't know if that's sustainable long-term. What do you think? Like, are the prices going to settle down over time or is it just going to go more nuts? That's the thing, like just even a week ago, like when Michael and I launched our NFT, it was in that weird period where Ethereum was rising. And then I guess like a lot of people felt like there was an oversaturation and mm -hmm. just talking to some people are like, there is no way that those numbers are going to be sustainable. You know, like you see people making like tens of thousands of dollars off of this stuff. They're like, that's just like, it was never like that a couple months ago. So like a lot of people are saying it wasn't sustainable. But then this past week, it seems like it picked up again. Like I'm seeing people selling for, you know, like eight, eight ETH and, you know, all the way up to crazy amounts, like 30 ETH and stuff. So I guess it's in the, um, it's in the hands of the people with the Ethereum at the end of the day, what they feel like they want to spend their Ethereum on. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's a, uh, it's tough to kind of, you know, project on how this stuff is like, I, I hope it, you know, keeps rising like that just as an artist, but yeah, who's to say? I've noticed often that my sales slow down when Ethereum is climbing, but when it plateaus, that's suddenly when people will start to buy again. And so it's possible yeah. that they've taken profits and then they feel comfortable then spending stuff on NFTs. And, you know, when you're in this surging phase, I find that there's less eagerness to buy during those times. But then when it's when it calms down a little, yeah. then all of a sudden you see more buying. Yeah, I know a lot of people were saying like it's trajected to hit three thousand here pretty soon, mm -hmm. and then they said it's probably going to stable off at three thousand for a little bit there. So I think maybe we'll start seeing you know like the growth in the surge of people buying again. But I'm already seeing it starting to pick up again. Like it was only kind of weird there for like a week or so, mm -hmm. but now it's starting to pick back up again. Yeah, what's your prediction for Ethereum? My guess, end of summer, let's say September. I think it's ten k. US. Oh, really? Yep. I think wow. so because okay. it'll have that so, yeah, inflationary it'll have that <laughs> it'll have that deflationary mechanism built into it. 
So is that a part of the 2.0, the Ethereum? No, it's well, it's working toward 2.0. Or... It's it's a it's an improvement. I think it's EIP one five five nine. Now it has to be a you know it has to be mined. Like if miners don't come to consensus, it doesn't happen. But I feel pretty right. strongly that it will happen. Just a hunch. Um, and when that improvement happens, the basically the entire fee structure is going to change. So it'll it'll regulate gas fees quite a lot more than they are currently. Um, that's yeah, where the that's miners was, yeah. might not be huge fans of that element, and that's where it could run up against some opposition. Um, but it also brings right. in the burning of Ethereum tokens or Ether, I guess you should say, I should say, um, which will cause the production of it to stabilize. So it will basically not continue to be inflationary as it has been. So that to me is a huge thing. That's huge because right. that's always been the negative of Ethereum versus Bitcoin. It's always been, yeah, but there's only ever 21 million Bitcoin, right? And Ethereum, who knows how many there are, right? right? And this will settle that issue, basically, if it works Double the way right they plan for it to work. Right. So that's where I feel that yeah, I there is that. strong, strong uh, potential there for value to grow. Not financial advice. Right. I don't want to get somebody <laughs> no, complaining, not, hey. saying, hey, I put my life savings into Ethereum. You better be right. No, do not. I'm just some guy doing a podcast. Okay. I'm not a financial expert. Yeah. And that's where, you know, doing the crypto art stuff kind of comes into play too, because like I've made, you know, majority of my Ethereum selling crypto art. Like it's not me mm -hmm. investing my USD in the crypto art. I mean, into Ethereum, it's me selling my art to other people in exchange for the Ethereum. So if people like, if they don't want to put their life savings into it and, you know, you have some type of creativity i would say you know start trying to sell some of your work out there like i see crypto art not only working for visual arts i see it working in like um i could say in literature i could see people right, yeah. starting to sell their rights to their literature on the blockchain and i've seen a few musicians sell the rights to the music on a blockchain so this thing the spectrum of it is just going to spread wide open so there's going to be a lot of opportunity for people to you know get into the blockchain game here Hundred percent. Any any form of property whatsoever, intellectual property, um, even you know, real estate, whatever, it can be tokenized. As I was say, I saw someone sold their house on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah someone recently sold their house for like a million dollars on the blockchain. Yeah, and you know, there will come a time where you know, I don't know how recent it was that you bought a property, but there's a lot of paperwork that goes with that, right? But I mean, if it's all done via mm -hmm. smart contracts that have been successfully audited, why wouldn't you just buy it that way and? Who needs a lawyer? Like, no offense to lawyers, but who needs a lawyer when it's all in a yeah. smart contract and you just go, okay, there's the agreement. Poof. Title transferred. Yeah. And that's where a lot of this stuff is starting to make sense. Like when people were telling me initially, even months ago, like everything is start going to, you know, all the, all these transactions are going to be done on a blockchain. I'm like, how is that feasible? Like you're telling me everything is going to be done on there. And the more I get into it, I'm like, okay, it's starting to make a little bit more sense because it does make it accessible too. And even just for work that I'm doing, like I have a, um, I don't want to say client because we haven't done anything yet, but I've had a company in Dubai reach out to me and ask me if they could pay me via the blockchain. So mm -hmm. instead of trying to convert their currency to USD and go through all those regulations and everything, they're like, mm -hmm. can we just use Ethereum, which is crazy i've never been offered cryptocurrency for a job before but it makes sense because it's a lot easier transaction to work internationally than it has been before like i've done stuff in the netherlands recently and i had to call my bank and get my swift address and go what, through like all these hoops and everything wired and just stuff? to get my Ugh. Yeah, just to get my money. I'm just like, this is crazy. But if they would have, if I would have told them like, hey, just pay me in Ethereum or some other cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or Cardano or something, and it would have been an easier transition. So I can start to see how this stuff is really going to intermingle with our lives here in the near future. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, like I mentioned, lawyers, the legal firms, they're going to be using this stuff, too, because it's going to make it more efficient for them so they can still offer their services. Yeah. But a lot of it can be automated and it can be done more efficiently and they can charge less and they can compete if they're using it, right? If they can have contracts that are all electronically uh, formulated 
right? And they can say to their clients, look, we're going to charge you a yeah. tenth of what another legal firm is going to charge you for the same service because we're using blockchain technology, right? Why wouldn't you use that right. service then? So it's not necessarily going to hurt yeah, them. 100%. It's kind of like, you know, it reminds me of like the Luddites who, you know, I think, wasn't it, uh, you know, they were against this factorization mechanization, but in the end, other jobs came out of it, right? It's just that the nature of the jobs changed, yep. right? So exactly. I mean, what's so cool right. with it's NFTs? It's always that unknown that scares people. Totally. Yes. What's cool with NFTs and yeah. what I see from you is these are your personal expression and creation that you created because of the joy of creating them. It wasn't a commissioned work and your your work that your contracted work is wonderful. I'm just saying there's a different feeling yeah. to it as an artist when you're just creating something because you love creating it. Yeah, I mean, as you know, it's a lot more fun doing your own personal work than it is doing client work. A lot of times, like I still like people always ask me, like, "Hey, as you become more successful as a crypto artist, are you going to stop doing client work?" And I say, absolutely not, because it's going to keep me honest. Like, I like having my creative freedom, but I also like the challenge of being able to solve the problems for you know traditional clients. So, like, if a client says hey, we want to hire you for this job. We need A, B, and C done, and we need you to create that vision for us. Then that's a challenge that I like to take because as I'm trying to work out that issue and figure out how to make this visually work for them, I'm learning in my own right. Like I'm learning a lot of my techniques. That's kind of how like my YouTube channel came about. Like mm -hmm. I would be working on client projects and I would figure stuff out. And then, you know, like, you, in the heat of the moment, you figure it out, you know exactly how to do it. And then you just kind of forget that knowledge because it's something that you're not doing every day. You figure sure. it out for that particular project. But say like five months down the line, another client comes and they need some type of procedure that's kind of familiar to or what you did five months ago. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I could do that. I just did that. And then I get into the project and I completely drew a blank. I'm just like, how did mm -hmm. I do that again. So I'm trying to like dissect my old projects and trying to look at my parameters. And I'm just like, I started screen capturing my workflow as I'm working on stuff. And I kept okay. like my own personal library of all my different workflows and stuff. And friends would ask me, you know, for like advice on how to do stuff. And I'd be like, Hey, you know what? I just figured that out maybe like a month or two ago. And I just send them my screen capture session. And I had one friend one day that was like, you should just start throwing this stuff up on YouTube. Other people might find it useful. And that's how that whole thing came okay. about. But without client work, you know, I would have probably never ran into those issues that needed figured out. And so it was just kind of like this whole, you know, paradigm shift for me where I'm like, okay, client work, I figure something out, throw it up on YouTube. And by doing so, I became more popular into the scene and a lot more artists started to know who I was because I was helping them figure stuff out through, you know, like YouTube and stuff like that. So I, I love that aspect of it and I don't really want that to go away. So I would always stay doing, you know, like my own personal NFTs and then still doing client work as well. Yeah, no, I think that's smart. I mean, obviously you have access to some pretty cool outlets as a creator. So it would make no sense for you to stop that, right? So that's amazing. Hey, I love your work. It's awesome. Thank you never you for know. Taking this maybe time. they get into NFTs too. That's at some right. Point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll be uh, yeah. <laughs> consuming all our movies in the future with NFTs. I don't know. Right? It's just a matter of. Oh, yeah. The Universal is already bandwidth. on it. Yep. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, you, you got some inside information about Universal you can tell me? um i've seen them talking about it like publicly out there like even if it comes down to selling like virtual assets you know mm -hmm. like for the movies you're creating cg props you're creating cg characters and stuff like you know like the godzilla movie just came out what mm -hmm. if you wanted to own godzilla you know so it's like anytime anybody watches that movie you can be like i own you know godzilla <laughs> on the blockchain cool. like that the physical 3d model and stuff like that so yeah this stuff is it's all going to start intertwining here pretty soon especially since hollywood when they see dollar signs yep. that's when you catch their attention and <laughs> yeah. when they saw the christie sell it's when i saw a lot of these light bulbs Bing. popping off and they're like oh someone made 70 million dollars okay um how do we make nft <laughs> yeah exactly. so yeah a lot of yeah it's about to get crazy here very soon 
Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be a very interesting summer, especially with, you know, it seems like hopefully we're getting to a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel with all the COVID stuff going on, you know, so I really hope that that happens over the next yeah. few months. And, uh, you know, there will be an optimism that comes with that, I think. Yeah, but I think that I think COVID is kind of what helped excel this process for yes. NFTs as well. Like you said, you've been in this stuff since like 2017. Like I just only heard about it the past year. And I think that's because everybody's been so cooped up in their mm -hmm. houses and everybody's just communicating via like Twitter and Discord and just word of mouth of this scene, you know, happening. And then it infiltrated the motion graphics scene, which I'm a part of. And yeah, this stuff just kind of, you know, blew up from there but if i think without covid i still think it might have stayed like an underground thing you know because everybody's out they're doing stuff and they're doing work at studios and things of that nature so i just think the nature of us all being cooped up and communicating on the internet just helped like that fire for this i agree 100 percent. yeah it definitely was a catalyst for sure yeah 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 hey Jonathan Winbush, it's been awesome talking with you, and uh, yeah, let's stay in uh, let's stay in touch. I'm super fan. I love your work, so thank you for taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, nah, take care. thank you, man. Appreciate it. Definitely look me up on Twitter anytime. Got it. Okay, take care. Thanks again for listening to the Non Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.